In those days, a decree went out from Caesar, and so everyone went to their town to be registered. Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem along with Mary. And when they were there, it came time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field at night and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born. For you who is the Messiah, the Lord. All right. Good morning, Riverview. Hey, it's good to be with you today. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. If I have not had a chance to meet you, um, I would love to do that. I'll be out kind of in the lobby after the service. But just thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning. It's great to to worship alongside all of you. Uh, Over the past few weeks, I've been conducting some really important research in connection with this series that we're starting this week. And really, it's just boiled down to one thing. I've been asking people in my life this one question, and it's when does the Christmas season officially start? Okay? Like, when do you start listening to Christmas music, decorating your house? And I want to take a poll because I didn't realize how polarizing this question (laughs) really is. I mean, some people I asked, they looked at me like, how do you not know the answer to this question? Are you, like, what's wrong with you? So, okay, I'm just going to, just a show of hands. How many for you, the Christmas season started on November 1st, day after Halloween? All right, all right. Okay, now how many of you, it's day after Thanksgiving? It's like, oh, wow, okay. Well, um, okay, that's helpful. That was kind of similar uh, to what the information I got, but um, I am in the minority, okay? Um, For us in the pile home, the Christmas season started on November 1st. Uh, Yeah, I proudly put up Christmas lights on my house. Yep. And (laughs) get this, we're still the only house on our street with our Christmas lights on. So uh, I, I am the neighborhood Clark Griswold. I have, I have already accepted it. It's fine. I am going to be proud of that, and I, that will continue. Um, but the reason that I ask that, it's really just for fun, but really we're starting a new series here at Riverview. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to be in a Christmas series, and, and the title of that series is right there, and he shall be called. It's going to be really cool. Over the next seven weeks, we are just going to look at the various names and titles given to Jesus throughout the Christmas narrative, throughout the various Christmas texts that we have in our Bibles. And, and some of those names, they show up often in the songs that we sing, that we're going to begin singing here at Riverview during our services together. But we also see them show up in passages of Scripture. We see names like Son of God, Son of Man, how Jesus was our Emmanuel, Savior, how he was a Nazarene, how Jesus was the Son of the Most High. And finally, we see that Jesus was our Messiah. And we're going to spend time looking at all these in depth. But what this series is going to do, which I'm so excited about, is it's really going to help us focus our attention on who Jesus is. Every single weekend, that's what we're going to do. We're going to open the Christmas story. We're going to look at these passages, and we're going to look at why Jesus truly is at the center of our faith. 
You know, I think Christmas is a great time to do this because it's, it's really important that we don't lose sight of the Christmas season, of the Christmas holiday, what we're actually celebrating. We can just forget to slow down. We can forget to open our Bibles and reflect on the truth of who Jesus really is. You know, I think Christmas is a time where it's just, it's busy, right? It's good. We have gatherings, we have things going on, but it's really good for us to slow down and to think and to pray and to rest in in God's truths he's told us in scripture. So over the next seven weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the answer to this, the multifaceted answer to this question of who is Jesus really? The late A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor and theologian. He wrote a lot of books. Uh, One of the books he wrote was The Knowledge of the Holy. And, And in that book, he has this quote that I think is really striking. He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So think about yourself for a moment. What comes into your mind when you think about God? How would you describe him? You know, truly, I believe there's no more important question that we'll ever wrestle with in this life than that question, because your answer to that question, it changes everything. It changes how you live. It changes how you make decisions. It changes what you believe, what you're living for. In this series, what we're going to do, we're going to see how the Christmas story helps us answer that question. Because in the Christmas narrative, we see who God is. We see what he's done clearly. And today, we're going to start with the first title, the name of Jesus. We're going to look at is Jesus as the Son of God. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and you can follow along in John chapter 1. That's in, your, in the New Testament, about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. And the book of John, the Gospel of John, is actually one of the four narratives of Jesus' life in his ministry. So in your Bibles, you have four kind of accounts of, of Jesus and, and who he was, what he did. And John was one of his disciples. So this Gospel we have is a firsthand account of John's seeing Jesus, spending time with him for multiple years of his life. And while we see the Christmas narrative show up in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, John chapter 1, actually, he takes a different approach. Because instead of beginning with Jesus' earthly life, John begins his Gospel with the same three words that that the entire Bible starts with. We see three words, in the beginning. So this is John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. You know, when many of us think of of the Christmas story— The picture that we have in our minds of Jesus is him as a baby, right? In a manger. Joseph and Mary, they're holding their their baby boy. After their long journey to Bethlehem, they're surrounded by animals and shepherds and some angels are there. Like this is the nativity scene, right? That many of us, we put up on our mantle or we put up in our front yard, but not yet, right? After Thanksgiving, of course. Um, Thank you. But the first words, the first words of John's gospel They help us understand something key about Jesus, and it's that he existed long before he showed up as a baby in Bethlehem, because Jesus is eternal. He has always been, and he always will be. And these five short verses, they give us a thorough picture of Jesus. 
in a very short amount, of, short amount of words. First, we see in verse 1 that Jesus is referred to as the Word, right? That term word we see there is actually the, in the Greek, or it's the word logos, which means message or essence or, or revelation or, or picture. The person of Jesus is a clear picture of who God is. And that word logos, it, was, it would have been used a lot in, in Greek writings and in Jewish wisdom literature. So that word logos, it would have resonated with the original audience that John was writing to. Because to them, that word logos would have helped them see that Jesus was the perfect embodiment of the word, of the truth, of who God truly is. Right after this, in verse 1, we see two sentences that kind of seem to contradict each other. It says that Jesus was with God, and it says that he was God. Well, how can that be? Well, here in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, we see evidence of God's nature, that, that our one God that we worship exists in three persons eternally, as God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word that we use to describe that is the word the Trinity, right? We, we worship and serve a Trinitarian God. And all three persons of the Trinity have always existed. We see this in Genesis 1 when they're active in creation together. We see this in that they existed in eternity past, and they still exist in perfect fellowship today. But here in John's gospel account, we see Jesus described as the Son of God. We go back to Genesis 1 for what he said next. He says that all things were created through him, which we don't think about this very often, but Jesus was present at creation in Genesis chapter 1. It was through him that everything exists in our universe. Colossians chapter 1 was a letter of the, or Colossians was a letter the apostle Paul wrote to the city in Colossae, and he writes this about Jesus in verse 16. He says, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that exists, that's come into being, it was made by Jesus. It was made for Jesus. Everything that exists from the smallest living thing to the largest universe that we can't even see from this earth, it's his. It all belongs to him. Finally, in verse 4, we see that in Jesus is life. The verse says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. You know, if you think about it, life is the greatest gift that any of us can be given. In the creation account in Genesis 1, we not only see things come into being, but we see much of it just teem with life. It's vibrant. We see plants and wildlife and humanity coming alive. And while new life is often a, a celebration and a great thing, you know, the opposite is true when life is lost. That can often be a tragedy. In Genesis chapter 3, when everything went wrong uh, with Adam and Eve and sin entered the world, we see that with sin came death. Things that teemed with life, they began to die. In John chapter 11, Jesus spent some time comforting his friends. In this moment, they were mourning the loss of their brother, Lazarus, and they were going through the stages of grief, right? The stages of grief that we, we experience, and they had gotten to the stage of, like, of blame, when Jesus showed up, they said, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus doesn't defend himself. He, he doesn't push back at all, but he does share with them something really important. This is what he says. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. 
He who believes in me shall never die. Jesus said that because it's only through him that any of us can experience the life in the way that God intended. That any of us can can experience eternal life with him. We can experience life of joy now, connected with God and with other people. In that verse, we see that the life of Jesus was considered the light of men. When you read the scripture, if you're familiar with the Bible or if you've read it before or some of it, you'll see that frequently the word light is used to represent God and his power and and goodness. And, And then darkness is the opposite. It's often used to signify sin and brokenness and death. But the thing about darkness is this. It cannot exist where light is present. No matter how dark something is, the littlest, tiniest light can vanquish it. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. You know, these first five verses of John's gospel, they show us so many aspects of who Jesus is. Jesus existed in eternity past. His power was seen in creation. He, he brings life. He casts out darkness by his very presence. When you read the gospel accounts, you'll see darkness cannot exist in the presence of Jesus. But even though all this is true, and we have this record in front of us of this truth, these truths were unknown to the very people that Jesus came to save. And we see that in John chapter 1, verse 10. It says, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 is what we think of when we think of Christmas. It so beautifully captures the essence of what we celebrate, that Jesus, the eternal incarnate word, the son of God, he became flesh became like us, and he dwelt among us, that Jesus came into the world in the same way that we do, as a helpless baby, born to human parents. You know, one of my favorite parts of the Christmas season um, is the music. We're listening to it in our house. You're welcome. Um, But it's these timeless songs, right, that we sing in church and we we sing other places, but um, many of the songs, they highlight this truth. They're about the incarnation that Jesus, the Son of God, entered the world for us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And then finally, silent night. Holy night, Son of God. Loves pure light. You know, as much as we celebrate this today, that the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, these, these few verses show us a very sad reality that existed when Jesus actually showed up in the world. People didn't receive him. They didn't recognize him 
for who he truly was. Verse 11, one of the saddest verses that we see in the Bible, I think. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. The Jewish people had waited thousands of years for God to send them a rescuer, a fulfillment of all their prophecies, everything that the prophets talked about, one who would free them from the curse of sin that entered into the world in Genesis 3 and that would conquer the enemy. This is what they prayed for. This is what they had hoped for. And in one night in Bethlehem, in a manger to a young girl and her fiance, he showed up. The rescuer came in the person of Jesus. And Jesus grew up. He was a kid. He was a teenager. He became an adult. And as he shared the truth of who he was, what he had come to do, he was rejected. And he was unrecognized. People didn't believe him. But the rest of the verse shows us something. It shows us something encouraging. That wasn't true of everyone. But to all who did receive Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Some people saw Jesus for who he was, for all that John said about him in, his, in the first verses, that he was the word, that in him was life, that he was the light of the world, that he truly was the son of God. And we see that those people became children of God. To become a child of God, it doesn't come through a righteous life. It doesn't come through obedience to the law. It doesn't come through your good deeds outweighing your bad. It comes through one thing, belief. To those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. The same is true for us today as it was in the first century with the first followers of Jesus. We experience salvation, life in Christ, acceptance as a child of God in the same way that anyone has before us. It is faith. By believing what this says, by trusting that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that all, although our sin separates us from him, in his love, Jesus made a way for us. He died for our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead. Jesus ends his prologue of this gospel by sharing more and more about the nature and character of Jesus. Verse 14 says this, we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. As John continues to reflect on the character and, and nature of Jesus, he can't help but begin to share the blessings that just come from who he is, that he's full of grace and truth. The law that was given to the Jews through Moses, was, it was condemning. There were 613 laws. They could not do it. But in Jesus, we see grace and truth. In him, there is clear revelation of God. Verse 18, the one and only son who is himself God, he has revealed him. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God cares about, look at what Jesus cares about. 
If you want to know what it means to experience life as it's meant to be experienced, look at Jesus' life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What about you? What comes into your mind when you think about God? When you think about Jesus? John 1 shows us that he is the son of God, that this has always been true. That before the Christmas story happened, before he arrived in the world as a baby, before the angel visited Mary and told her that she was favored by God, that God had chosen her for this, before they journeyed to Bethlehem, before all of that, Jesus was, and he always has been, the Son of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, later on, Jesus had been doing ministry He'd kind of been causing a stir amongst the communities that he had been in. And he had heard that people were having conversations about him. So he goes to his disciples and he says, what are people saying? And they're like, well, some think you're Elijah. Some think that you're John the Baptist. Some think that you're Jeremiah. And as the disciples are are, are kind of coming back to Jesus with these answers, he's like, well, how about you? This is the question that he asks in Matthew chapter 16 verse 15. But you, Jesus, asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. We see this is the first time Peter reveals this to Jesus. He's like, I believe this about you. And his profession revealed his faith, that he believed that he was the one the Jewish people had been waiting for. And I love the response that Jesus gives him. He says, blessed are you. You didn't work to earn that. You didn't white knuckle your way into that understanding. It pleased God to reveal that to you. He showed you the truth of this. Christmas is the time that we celebrate that God came near, that he entered creation And he made a way for us to know him and experience him. But if you talk with people in your life, family, friends, coworkers, about what Christmas means or about who Jesus is, they may give you a variety of answers. Yeah, Jesus, he was a good moral teacher. He was a great guy. Or, you know what? I don't really care. (laughs) I don't really think about it very much. But that question, it is front and center for us every Christmas. Who is Jesus? Really? C.S. Lewis is an author and professor. He was, he was writing back in the time of World War II, and he often heard this same answer from people about who Jesus was. But then he wrote this in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. 
You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. As we spend time over the next seven weeks opening the scripture together, our hope is that we would see Jesus for who he truly is. He was not just a moral teacher. He was not just a good person, although he was those things. He was. He was more than that. He was the son of God. It is through him. He is the only way that we can know and experience who God is. It's through faith in him. And that is what Christmas is about. As we continue to discover more and more about Jesus in this series together, not only are we going to grow in our understanding, but but we're going to need to take this understanding and this knowledge, and we're going to need to apply it. We're going to need to answer the question of of why does this matter for me? How is this going to change how I live? How does knowing this about Jesus impact my life today? Well, I have two answers to that question. Because Jesus is the Son of God, that means that God's plans never fail. God is sovereign. It was God's perfect plan to send us a Savior. It wasn't plan B. Okay? It wasn't plan C. God wasn't like, oh, we got to figure something else out. No, this was his plan. Nothing could get in the way of it. And that is true for everything God intends to do. The sovereignty of God is this beautiful doctrine that means that nothing in your life happens outside of his understanding, outside of his control. This is especially encouraging for us because there's so many times in our life where we think, if only I was in control, if only I could change this, situations where you just don't know the outcome, times of worry and stress, times where you do anything just to be like, I'm going to make this happen. God knows of those situations more deeply than you're even experiencing them. And he knows what you need. And he'll provide you with what you need. God's plans never fail. We see that in his plan to send us Jesus. Second thing, why does this matter for us? Well, because Jesus is the Son of God, that means we can clearly know and understand what God is like. God is not a mystery to us. John 1.18, the one and only Son has revealed Him. We don't have to wonder about God. So many people wonder, and they're like, well, I'm going to look for it in these signs or these other places. We don't have to do that. We've been given a clear record of who He is in a way that we can experience him in this life. It's through Jesus, the Son of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 11. This is the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it is. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. When this happens in a person, when they confess and believe, they become a Christian. The Holy Spirit moves into their life 
and begins to change them. They begin to experience joy and forgiveness from sin in this life. And I'm so excited because today, in our service, we're going to celebrate that reality with people who, who are getting baptized. You know, some who have heard the truth of the gospel and who have believed it, that Jesus lived a perfect life for them, that he died on the cross for them, that he rose from the dead for them. Every single person that's getting baptized here today, they've become Christians. Some of them have done so very recently, and they're getting baptized, and some have been walking with Jesus for years, and now are saying, I want to get baptized. But what baptism is, it's an outward demonstration of an inward reality. The scripture is clear that if you follow Jesus, you should get baptized. It's an act of obedience that people are taking to show the world that they belong to him. That their lives are no longer about themselves, but that they trust in the work that Jesus has done for them. That they're forgiven of their sin and they have new life in Christ. You know, as people get baptized today, that's, it's a picture of that very truth that they'll be witnessing. As people are immersed down in the water, it symbolizes their old life being buried. And as they come out, it's symbolizing the new life they have in Christ. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus? If, he, if it's that he is the son of God, the one who has come to make a way for you to know and experience God, choose to follow him. Trust him with your life. You know, if that's already true for you today as a Christian, you can rest in knowing that God's plans never fail, that he is sovereign, that he's good, that the Christmas story was plan A to send us a savior. And if you are a follower of Jesus today and you've not taken the step of obedience and baptism, I want to encourage you, do it. Don't put it off any longer. Get baptized today. Don't wait to, to grow more in your faith or you, you have all the reasons. I get it. But look, you can get baptized today. <laughs> to get baptized means you follow Jesus. Stop. That's it. We have clothes, we have towels, we have shorts for you. You don't have to get baptized in your Sunday best. You can if you want. You don't have to, though. But if that's you, if you're here, you're thinking, I, I want to get baptized. I follow Jesus. I've never done it. I want to get baptized. I want to encourage you, after I pray here in just a moment, you can go and talk with, with uh, Ellen in the info center. She'd love to have a conversation with you about your faith, about your decision to get baptized today. But in just a moment, we're going to sing some more. And we're going to celebrate for the rest of our time this morning. And as we do so, let us do that looking at Jesus, the Son of God, and be grateful for that life that we have in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do just thank you. God, I thank you for Christmas. God, that in our greatest need, you, you gave us yourself, that you entered creation God, it's crazy thinking that is everything in the world was created through Jesus, that he's eternal, that he showed up in the world like us as a baby. God, that encourages me so much because 
it just helps us remember that God, when, when your plans and your will, with all of that, Lord, nothing can get in the way. Lord, that you are good and that your love was seen for us most clearly in the Christmas story in sending us Emmanuel, a savior, our Messiah, the son of God. We thank you so much for Jesus and we're so excited to celebrate this morning people who have chosen to follow him and who have given their lives to him in faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.